right. Hello, church. How are we all doing today? We doing good? Well, if you're joining us online or in person, I'm super, super glad that you are here. And uh, I just believe today is going to be a day that God is going to use in all of our lives, that he's going to speak to us, and that we're going to leave here different. I really believe that. And in fact, I believe that for every single weekend and every single time that we gather. Well, in 1993, there was an individual, a young man by the name of Norman Borlaug, who was visiting Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, he was observing a food line that had formed outside of a food pantry, people that were waiting to get food for themselves and their families. And this was just, uh, this was during the Great Depression, kind of towards the tail end of it. And the Great Depression had crippled America's economy, and uh, many people lost their jobs. Many people went without food, and, and, uh, and it was really a desperate time in our nation's history. Well, while Norman was there and he was looking at this food line, he saw that these two individuals began to fight because they were trying to get in front of each other in the line, and uh, they started to throw punches, and before he knew it, he watched literally in front of him this fight that escalated into a mini-riot where people were being hit, people were falling to the ground, they were lying there in a pool of blood. I mean, it became really, really intense and really violent and it marked him. It marked him. Literally, Norman said for the rest of his life, he remembered that instance in his young adulthood. Uh, you know, Norman had grown up in a Lutheran church. He was of Norwegian descent. He was, uh, his great-grandfather was actually an immigrant from Norway. And so uh, he had grown up in the Lutheran church. He had learned uh, biblical ethics and learned about loving your neighbor and uh, you know what he wanted to do when he, grow, when he grew up is he wanted to actually play for the Chicago Cubs, which who would blame him, want to play for God's team, I get it. But you know, uh, <laughs> what was the score yesterday against the Brewers? Um, oh yeah, 9-0. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I would say this, that he put that aside because it was interesting, this ethic that he'd grown up with and then combined with this horrific memory of that riot in Minneapolis actually gave him a burden. And it was a God-given burden to do something else with his life. And so he went into um, agriculture and research. And uh, over the decades, he literally retooled how we grow especially wheat and other crops. In fact, he developed a high-yielding, disease-resistant wheat, that that technology not only helped Americans, but also was spread around the world so that people could grow wheat and it would not, you know, succumb to disease and it would have high yield. And, and over the years, he, he completely revolutionized food production as we know it. In fact, a lot of what we do today is because of Norman, and he became known as the father of the Green Revolution the father of the Green Revolution, in 1955, 22 years after that riot that he observed, in 1955, he won the Nobel Peace Prize because of all of his work. Some of you have heard of Penn and Teller, who are the magicians that have had a residency forever in, in Vegas, and Penn specifically, he's the one that talks, Penn, um, he's an atheist, but he's a highly intelligent individual, very, very intelligent. He believes, Penn calls Norman, the greatest human to ever live, literally. And because of Norman's innovative work 
and his conviction that people should have food and not have to starve. He is single-handedly credited for saving one billion people's lives from starvation. One billion, not million, billion. So, here's my question for us today at City First. How many of you have ever heard of Norman Burlog? Few of you. Like, I think I see like four hands in the room. <laughs> you know what that tells me? It tells me this, that you can help a lot of people, a billion people, and still not be famous or recognized. And in this famous and recognized craving, you know, world of ours that is fixated on being noticed and fixated on selfies and me-ism, here we have an example of a man who literally saved a billion people's lives because of his effort, and most of us don't even know who he is, and yet we benefit from him every single day when we go to the grocery store. And it tells me this, it tells me that sometimes that the least of these on the face of the earth are actually the greatest of these. Sometimes it tells me that, that those that help others the most are sometimes the most overlooked. So I have a question for all of us today. Regardless of where we're at in our age and stage of life, might be a junior higher in here, we might be you know, retired or somewhere in between, I have a question. When it comes to help, helping people, are you okay if God uses you to do a great work, but you are never fully celebrated for what you have done? Like, I don't think Norman's fully celebrated, but I would say he's not the only one. There's a lot of people watching today that you do a lot of things to help people, and yet no one's ever pulled you up on the stage and put a spotlight on you and gave you a bouquet of flowers or a plaque or, or recognition. You just do good because doing good is what Jesus wants you to do. And you're not Insta-famous or you're not TikTok-famous or Facebook famous if you're over the age of 45. <laughs> but instead, you're famous in heaven. Heaven celebrates. They look, heaven looks down on you and says, well done, well done. You see, our culture is fixated on famous people, but many times not fixated on faithful people. Today, I want to talk about being faithful. Because someday, because someday, the Bible says, Jesus actually talked about this. He said, someday if we live right, when we pass from this life to the next life, we will hear these words from God, well done, my good, and what's that word? Faithful servant. Not my good and famous servant. Good and faithful servant. Faithful to God, faithful in his work, faithful to live to the best of your ability the way that God wants you to live. We're in this series called Waiting on a Miracle. And, uh, you know, last week I said this. I said, when I announced the title Waiting on a Miracle, we automatically default to thinking, yes, I have a miracle. God, can you give me a miracle? But I actually wanted to turn it on its head, and I did this last week, and I'm going to do it again this week, is that if you're waiting on a miracle, maybe unlocking your miracle, the key to unlocking your miracle is that you help somebody else get theirs. See, that's the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God says that, that you know what, in, in a nutshell, and I'm paraphrasing, is that you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, guess what? You will be refreshed. And, and so last week I talked about being a bringer. 
I talked about the four men bringing the paralytic to Jesus and digging through the roof and all that. I said, we got to be a bringer. we got to bring a carrier. This week, I want to talk about being a helper. Being a helper. Now, now listen, you, 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 may, you may run an organization or a business. You may be in career training, um, you know, taking algebra and wondering how this is ever going to apply to the rest of your life. Whatever age and stage you're in right now, I want you to dial in because this is not a, a, a warm, fuzzy, feel-good sermon about let's just be helpers. You know, sounds a little, a little Pollyanna. Instead, I want us to really know that God wants each of us to use our talents to help others, our abilities, our resources, that we aren't supposed to live selfish. And yet, we've baptized our culture in meism. Most of the apps on your phone focus around you. Most of what we think about is me. It's just kind of the way that humans are built. If we default to anything, we default to self-preservation and selfishness in general. That's why Jesus came along and said, no, as the kingdom, you live counterculture. And counterculture is, it isn't about you, it's about them. It's about serving, not, not being in charge. And, and so he even talks about that, that Jesus said, you know, it, it, the greatest of all are those that are the servants of all. <laughs> I mean, wow. So there's this story, this story about a, um, a person that's not that famous in the New Testament, and that's why I'm focusing on her today. Um, her name is Tabitha, and she's found in Acts chapter 9. Her story is there. Um, in fact, uh, you might know who you know, Peter is, and Paul, and, you know, Jesus, obviously, and, and, and all of these other disciples. Well, Tabitha is a disciple of Jesus also, and she's not one of the main 12. Jesus had more disciples than just the 12. She was kind of like the next layer, you could say, of disciples, and it says this. There was a believer in Joppa, which is the name of a town, uh, named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. So, yes, go with Tabitha. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died, which tells me even bad things happen to good people. Her body was washed for burial. So in other words, her friends, her family came along and prepared her literally to be buried and laid the body in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter, the apostle Peter, was nearby in Lydda, which is a town down the road. And so they sent two men to beg him. Listen to this, beg him. Please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows. Can you picture this? He comes to this upstairs room. It's filled with all these women, these widows, who were weeping, showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas, a.k.a. Tabitha, had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. I mean, what a powerful story, right? Tabitha's dead. Now she's alive. She comes back to life by the power of Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? We don't know much about Tabitha, but there are some things that we know. We know this. She's a follower of Jesus. She's a disciple of Jesus. We know that she passed away. She became ill and passed away. She lived her life helping others. 
That was just kind of a signature of her life. She served the poor, and what did she do? She made tunics, she made garments, she made, you know, cloaks for widows, specifically for widows. And, and you know, there are a lot of things we don't know about Tabitha. We don't know if she was married, singled, single, widowed herself, maybe divorced. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know about her marital status at all. We also don't know about her economic status. Was she poor? Was she middle class? Was she wealthy? Again, we don't know. We don't even know her age. I know reading the story, we kind of think that she's old, but nowhere in there does it say that she was old. She might have been young. She might have been a young adult. We don't know. We don't know how old she was. We don't know her age. And this is the point. The point is that whenever we hear about somebody being used greatly by God, we always think to ourselves or assume that they have big personalities, that they have a platform that they stand on, a microphone in their hand, they are popular to a certain degree or at least well-known, they have a podcast because now in America, who doesn't have a podcast, right? It's like I keep hearing every week, it's like, I'm starting a podcast. I'm like, really? Do we really have more to say? I mean, really? I don't know. But anyway... Didn't have a podcast. We don't know. And we think to ourselves, we think, well, gosh, people that are used by God, they, they, they have all of these talents, all of these abilities, but that is not necessarily true. Tabitha was just an unknown person who was helping others. And at the end of the day, guys, at the end of the day, don't we value the people that care about us more than the people that are just super talented around us, right? I mean, don't we? I want somebody to care about me. You do too. Reminds me of a story, um, one of my favorite stories, where, where a woman won some contest, and this was back in the last century in Britain, and won some contest, and, and she got to eat dinner with the sitting uh, prime minister, William Gladstone. So she got to have dinner basically with the president of, of uh, Britain, okay, the prime minister. And then also she got to go have, have dinner with his arch rival. His name was Benjamin Disraeli. And uh, this would be like having dinner with Pelosi and then having dinner with McConnell. I mean, it was, like, it was like these are like the opposite ends of the political spectrum. These two gentlemen did not like each other. They were vocally against each other. And she got to have dinner with both of them individually. Afterwards, the media came up to her and they were like, which was the better dinner host? Who did you enjoy more? I think it's interesting. This was her uh, response. She said, well, when I left the dining room after sitting with next to Mr. Gladstone, meaning he's, he's the prime minister, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But after sitting next to Mr. Disraeli, I was made to believe that I was the cleverest woman in all of England. In other words, Benjamin made her feel valued. Oh, oh yeah, the prime minister wowed her. Was like, wow, she left going, man, he is smart, he's intelligent, he has all this moxie, he is a great leader, like I am just, I am so humbled to be in your presence. But then, when she went to eat with Benjamin Disraeli, she said she felt lifted up herself. She felt valued. She left feeling significant that I was intelligent, she said. And so, therefore, how we make people feel 
Not necessarily what we say, but how we make people feel is what they're going to remember. You know, we know this. We really don't care how much people know until we know how much they care. Right? And Tabitha, she cared for people. And when she was gone, those lives whom she impacted, they were heartbroken and shattered because her care was so strong. Can you picture, can you picture Peter coming into the upper room and there is just a room full of women up there holding up garments, weeping. The Bible says weeping. I mean like ugly cry, weeping. And saying, look at what Tabitha made for me. Look at what Tabitha made. She clothed me. She covered me. I didn't have clothes. I didn't have nice clothes, and she made me nice clothes. She gave me value. And, and literally, I, I believe, I believe this. This isn't in the Bible, but I believe that probably some of them came up to Peter and said, who's going to make us clothes now? Where are we going to get our clothes? In fact, Tabitha's helpfulness, her helpfulness mattered. And the part that she played in that community mattered. Something powerful happens when each of us understands the part that we play in the community in which we live. And I'm not just talking the community of the State Line area or Rockford or Belvedere or down in Cape or down in Fort Myers. I'm not just talking the I'm talking the community, your neighborhood, the gym that you work out in. The business that you work in, the school that you attend, the, the job site that you are on tomorrow, the community that you are in, your part matters. Do you understand that? Your part matters. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded of that because we think only people with certain personalities, their part really matters, mine not so much. From time to time, I get requests to maybe go speak at a, um, at a life group or at a school, uh, do a baccalaureate or something like that, or maybe at a business uh, to be able to talk about faith or, or talk about, you know, the Bible or, or to pray with people. Every once in a while, it, it happens, and, and if, I have, you know, if I'm available, I'm always honored to do that. Um, but can I be honest for a second? In those moments, in those environments that I get invited into, um, businesses and schools and neighborhoods and things like that. Um, it's good that a pastor shows up every once in a while, and I think that can be helpful. But do you know who those people really need? The people in your world, where you work, where you live, where you go to school, you know what they really need, who they really need? They need you. They need you. They don't need me. They need you. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I don't have answers to all their questions. I haven't had enough training to talk about the Bible. I don't know what to say. I mean, I, 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 can, I can hear the excuses that you're thinking right now. <laughs> because I understand that. I feel that too from time to time. But the truth is, is this. People, when they're going through true challenge and crisis, they don't need all the answers. And some of you are like, yeah, they do. They need an answer. No, really, they don't. You know what they really need? They may think they need answers. What they really need is they need someone with them. With them. I mean, some of you have lost a loved one during the last pandemic, through the last two and a half years during the COVID pandemic. You've lost somebody. And if you were to sit down with me 
and I were to say, well, this is the reason why it happened, and I were to give you an answer, if I even had an answer, but if I were to give you an answer, would that really make you feel much better? No. You still miss that person. You still feel lonely. You still have memories. You still wish that they're around. Like the answer doesn't take any of that away. And many times in great crisis or challenge, there is no good answer. In fact, people will ask me all the time why this happened. I'll be like, I really have no idea. And if I pretend, I could give you an answer, but it would be pretending. Some things we don't know on this side of eternity. Some things we'll be able to ask God someday, and he'll give us an answer. But on this side of eternity, I don't know if we need answers as much as we need presence. We need the presence of people, and we need the presence of Jesus. So, so here's the thing. I know what your people need. And I say, you say, my people, yeah. Your schoolmates, your workmates, your neighborhood mates, your Pilates mates. Okay, I'll tell you what they need, all right? This is what they need. First of all, they need someone to be attentive and care. They need someone to be attentive and care because in this culture, um, at the end of the day, there, there seems to be a lot of self-preservation, like I said. People tend to be consumed with their own problems, their own agenda, their own dreams. And, and you know what? There isn't a lot of people that are saying, let me put you first. Let me prioritize you. So guess what? They need someone that's attentive and cares. They also need someone to seek connection. Someone who's willing to take the risk of reach and to say, I'm going to ask you how you're doing and not just say it like it's a greeting. Because that's what we do in America, right? How's it going? I don't really want to know. Just say hi. Does that make sense? That's really what we do. But how about people who seek connection that it's like, no, really, how is it going? How is it going? Number three, someone to be authentic. They need someone to authentically love Jesus. Doesn't mean authenticity is not perfection. All right? In, in, other, words, in other words, to be authentic means that you're trying. <laughs> and, and, and so they need someone who's in their space that has a faith and that they're trying to practice that faith doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. See, people are watching. The loudest sermon you will ever preach is the one with your life, not with your words. So, so just be an authentic person. They need that. And lastly, I'll tell you what they need. They need someone to try to help. And I, I worded that very specifically. I, you know, to try to help. Because, because really, that's all we can do. At the end of the day, I don't know if I can totally help somebody. I can try to help. And that's what Tabitha did. Evidently, she knew how to sew. So, you know, she decided, well, I'm going to use my passion and I'm going to leverage it to help other people. She liked being a seamstress. So here's my question. What's your passion? Like what already excites you? What jazzes you? What are you already pretty good at? And how can you take a portion of those efforts and your time and help other people with that passion? I'm making this elementary because at the end of the day, guys, this is how it works. We think it's angels that show up and all of a sudden we have this, this supernatural moment with people. No, no, no. It means that you're passionate about something. You take that passion and you leverage it to help people. Like some of you, you have a passion for hospitality. You've always, always been hospitable. You've always been the one that's thought, well, when I get invited to someone house, someone's house, I'm bringing cookies. <laughs> like you're just, you're hospitable or People are always at your house or your apartment. Or you're always making a space for somebody. 
You're being hospitable. That's your, that's your passion. That's your gift. Or how about listening? Some of you are just good listeners. Some of you are good at making money. You're like, I didn't think that'd be in the list. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's actually a, a passion and a gift. I think all of us can make money, but there's some people it just comes easier. Like, you just have a knack for it. You understand it. You see the world different. And I've, I've sat with many, many business people, some of them worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and I've looked at them, and I've said, hey, listen, you have a God-given ability to make money. Steward that ability well. In other words, make the money, but use a portion of it. Help others. Leadership. That's another passion of some of us. You're just good at leading. You, you go out on a Friday night with your friends, and you're the one deciding where you're going to dinner, all of you. And it isn't that you're trying to be like the center of attention. It just comes naturally to you. You're like, well, here's our three options, and here's the menus. I've already pulled it up on Yelp. Like you, just, you just think that way, right? Some of you are good at organization. Some of you are good at helps. Some of you are good at creating things. You literally can create things. You can make things. Some of you are good at teaching. Some of you are good at encouraging others or building things. Some of you are good at fixing things. Some of you are good at cooking. What is it? I may have not mentioned your passion, but what is your passion? Now, how can you use that passion to help other people? It might be something you do for a living even, or maybe it's a hobby. But whatever it is, you're thinking to yourself, gosh, I can... I can use this. In fact, you know what? There's a, uh, a retired gentleman that works part-time here at City First, and in his spare time, he makes wooden rocking horses. He told me the other day that he made a couple of wooden rocking, horse, wooden rocking horses for um, another individual in the church that had twins. And, and so he's like, I just, I made it for him. You see, what is it that is your passion? How can you help others? It's super simple, but incredibly significant. Do you hear that? Don't make the bar too high. Tabitha knew how to sew things. So she made garments and cloths, took cloth and, and weaved it together and, he, and helped cover, honestly, those in the society that were most vulnerable. See, a loss of a husband in Jesus's day, it was a patriarchal society and everything kind of rose and fell on the man of the house. And uh, if the man died, um, the women were really, it was a tragic thing. In fact, it was many times, uh, becoming a widow was, was a, a really catastrophic um, economic and cultural thing that happened to a woman at that day. And what it did is it actually left women kind of exposed to exploitation. And that happened a lot in the Roman Empire for women that were single or women that were widowed. And so what did Tabitha do? Well, Tabitha saw this, and she thought to herself, these women need nice clothes. They need to be covered. You know, she decided, I'm going I'm to make some fine garments so all the single men start noticing these women. I'm going to cover them indignity. I'm going to give them value by having, giving them something that they can be clothed in that they feel valued. She said, I'm going to dress them in worth. See, the fabric, that was secondary. She was like, I'm going to outfit them in importance. I'm going to clothe them in importance. 
And you know what? Every single day, we are surrounded by people in our workplaces, our schools, at Target. We are surrounded by people who need to be clothed. Oh, they have physical clothes on, but their souls, their minds, their hearts, they need to be clothed. And here's the problem. The problem is that there are certain Christians that have given many Christians a reputation of instead of clothing, they make it their mission to expose. They make it their mission to point out people's failures and shortcomings and sins and point fingers. But can I tell you something? That, that small demographic of Christians, that does not represent everyone who's a Christ follower. And I will say that real loud and clear for some of you that have been on the receiving end of those, of those comments, those thoughts, all right? In fact, you see in the New Testament, the people that like Paul pointed out in his letters, he pointed out their sin. It was the people that were already in the church who were purposely sinning. He was not pointing out people outside of the four walls. He wasn't going, oh yeah, that baker down the street, what a pagan. He wasn't doing that. Instead, he was pointing out, hey, listen, inside the church, we can do better. Does that make sense? And sometimes I think some Christians believe it's their job to point out every single sin, kind of like a spiritual policeman or policewoman handing out tickets. Your dress is too short. You do wrong things on Friday nights. You're greedy. You know what Tabitha did? She took a different approach. She decided to cover nakedness and shame. Love covers. Love covers. You know what our job is? Our job is to provide new garments for the people in our spaces. New garments to those people around us. If, if they're insecure and they're acting out that insecurity by you know, joining a hookup culture and trying so hard to find love in all the wrong places right? You know what you do? You cover those people in value. Or if they failed, you cover them in forgiveness. Or if they are full of shame, you cover them in honor. Or, or if they're full of apathy, you, you, you point out to them purpose. If they're desperate, you bring them hope. If they're addicted, you point them to the person that can bring freedom. If they're broken, cover them in garments of restoration. See, we get the opportunity to clothe people with value and worth and significance and dignity and importance. And when we do that, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something? When we do that, people are a heck of a lot more open to hearing about Jesus. Like, try it. Well, don't try it. But think about this. If you're to point out everybody's sin, Oh, yeah, I want to introduce you to Jesus. How open are they going to be? Rather, you point them to a better life that only Jesus can bring. And you show love. And you clothe them and garment them in the things that I've talked about. And then say, hey, listen, let me introduce you to Jesus, the one who clothed me in righteousness. And so, therefore, I can now love you. And you can also be clothed in righteousness. And in a culture that's so fixated on canceling, I should say this, culture is fixated on canceling those that have failed who they already don't like. It's a different story. But we have a decision. 
Are we going to be people that are a cancel culture or a clothing culture? What are we going to be? Are we going to cancel or are we going to clothe? It's your choice. And as we close, Tabitha's willingness to help others made way for her own miracle. I mean, think about this. She, you know, was a helper. Pretend she wasn't. Pretend that she decided to live selfishly. And she got sick and she died. And her family and friends probably would gather around her and they would mourn her, but probably no one is running to a different town to go get the Apostle Peter. Let me put it this way. Most likely, other people died that day in Joppa. Like, Tabitha wasn't the only person that passed away. There were other people. But there was only one person who people said, run to another town and go get the Apostle Peter, and it was for Tabitha. See, her efforts actually paved the way. Her helpfulness paved the way for a miracle that someday she was going to need. It says this in Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You need a miracle? Be the miracle. Be a miracle to somebody else. Be the solution. Now, you can't change a life. When I say miracle, I'm talking metaphorically there. Just be the one that points to the one that can do the miracle, right? But you be the hands and feet of Jesus. And guess what? You'll be refreshed. Peter prays and Tabitha comes back to life. And the Bible says that news spread throughout the whole town and many believed in the Lord. Meaning this, there were new converts that day because of the miracle that happened. And I know many of us today, are, we, we need a touch from Jesus. We need a touch on our finances, our relationships, our marriage. We need a touch from God right now in our businesses, our, our family, or our health. But maybe your miracle, maybe your miracle is on the other side of helping someone else get their miracle. I don't know. But that's the way I see is the Jesus way. And because God does a miracle, it also becomes an all-inclusive miracle. Like, in other words, it's all-encompassing. Not only does a person receive a miracle, but like last week, the four men were a part of a miracle. Like this week, not only Tabitha got a new life, but a lot of other people got a new life too. And the widows got back their friend, and countless others found Jesus. And in the middle of all your needs, of all the needs you have right now, and I guarantee there's some significant needs you have. Maybe right now is when you say, I have needs, Jesus, but I'm going to help meet other people's needs, and you promise that you're going to take care of me. It's sowing and reaping. And we learn that from a seamstress, right? That she sowed not just garments, but helpfulness, and she reaped a miracle. As we close, I want to point out something that is an opportunity for each and every one of us this coming weekend that you've already heard us talk about Easter, 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 Easter. Well, okay, this is, this is my last shot, okay? And uh, I, I really want you to dial in for this, okay? Because what this is right here, you're looking at and you're like, yeah, it's a bag. It has some eggs in it some fake grass, and a card from City First that has our service times. And you're like, yeah, that's great. No, no, this isn't a bag. This is a miracle. 
You're like, what do you mean? Well, this could be a miracle. This could be when you hand it to a friend, a family member, a fellow student, that you hand it to a barista, to someone in the checkout line, you take it and you hand them out to all the friends that are doing CrossFit with you or whatever. And who knows, who knows that maybe people will come, your friends, because you've decided to be like Tabitha and you decide to be helpful and that you invite people, you bring people, you meet them in the foyer, you meet them online if you are joining us online. And by the way, there's electronic invites that if you aren't at a physical location to pick up that, you can actually be in an electronic location and do it online. You can grab all that stuff. But who knows that that person comes that you invited and God does a miracle in their life. The miracle of being clothed in forgiveness and God's righteousness and they make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of their life. And just who knows? I want you to know something, that you could be a carrier of a miracle this week. So do it. In fact, if you're at a physical location, I want all those bags gone. We, we can't use them after this week. Take them with you and don't, don't let them sit on your dresser but, or on the floorboard of your car, but instead hand them out to everybody that you know. And I want to end with this quote from E. Stanley Jones, who's a Methodist pastor that lived a long time ago. He said this, Nothing exalts the soul or gives it a sheer state of buoyancy and victory so much as being used to change the lives of others. You need a lift in your soul this Easter. You need a resurrection in your life this Easter. Help someone else experience resurrection. Help somebody else experience the miracle and see what God does. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you Thank you for Tabitha, a little-known, powerful disciple that we learn from today. We learn how to be a helper. We learned how to sow and reap. We learned that, that, Lord, we can be a miracle and in turn receive our miracle. God, help us to do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, you know what, I need a miracle today of forgiveness and maybe it's your first time here at City First, I want you to know you don't have to join the church. You don't have to become a member. You can receive Jesus as the leader and the forgiver of your life, the Lord and Savior of your life, that you can invite him to be the leader of your life and to forgive you of everything you've done wrong and, and, and have him now as the one that journeys with you, God of the universe that loves you, created you, and heaven as your home someday. If you want that, I want to pray this simple prayer, and you just say it under your breath, okay? Just say this prayer, Jesus Come into my life. Do a miracle. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me and rose again. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.